0: podcast one production and I was leading a tech business that went into administration um, at one point that everyone thought was going to be a huge success and listed for hundreds of millions of dollars and then it didn't and so I know what it's like to face some pretty ugly conversations and have to make some pretty ugly decisions But the one good thing about this period is so is everyone else Mm. and you are not alone and I can tell you I felt very alone then.
1: Welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where female founders step into our world. It's a world of change makers and innovators.
2: We're talking to women paving their own way and extracting the very best lessons.
1: We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for ambitious women who are building businesses of the future.
2: So strap in fellow Lady Brain and ride with us to Ladyland.
1: Wherever you're listening from, it's highly likely that you're at home or you're in physical isolation. The current circumstances have highlighted to Anna and I just how important it is to take care of your well-being. So we took this opportunity to chat with Jane Martino, founder of Smiling Mind, Australia's number one meditation app. Jane has a broad and impressive history in the startup space. At just 25 years of age, she founded PR agency Undertow Media, which was acquired by Bastion Group. She then started a charity fundraising app called Shout, which was later sold to ANZ. She's also an author, a board member, a mum. What doesn't Jane do? Smiling Mind was born out of Jane's desire to encourage young people to embed the practice of meditation into their routine, which has grown beyond its original intent to service as many adults as possible with its custom workplace program. Smiling Mind's latest offering is called Thrive Inside. It's a program that was created in just 10 days as a result of COVID-19. It's designed to support people's psychological well-being while spending extended periods of time at home. Over the last few weeks, Smiling Mind has seen an incredible increase in downloads and usage rates, with over 5 million people now using the app. These impressive figures are a reflection of the proactive nature that we're all taking to ensure we look after our well-being. Jane attributes her upbringing and her personality as the two most valuable factors fueling her entrepreneurial spirit. And this is where we started the conversation.
0: I think I was born with a personality that's suited to being curious and starting things and having that sense of wonder and also combined with that sort of seeing a problem or something happening that I don't just sit back and I actually want to be part of of cracking the solution and being the solution. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I grew up in an extremely conservative household. Now, I know that's a bit opposite to generally what most entrepreneurs say. They probably say, it's in a really creative home and, you know, really dynamic parents that also had their own businesses. I was the opposite. So my mum was a librarian and my dad has been a lifelong academic, still working. So I think what I got from that upbringing was a sense of what it's like to have a long-term career Mm. and a sense of security, but also, A parent figure, in particular my dad, who had an extremely strong work ethic. Um, And it was a work ethic that he also used to demonstrate to me the amazing things that you can do if you are passionate about something, which he has always been about his career, and you work extremely hard and you believe in what you're doing. And he always taught me that I was capable of anything, as did mum. and that actually he drummed into me the best thing you could do for you and the world is to have your own business, which I thought was really strange. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. From someone who'd done the same thing for 35 years um, and then about 10 years ago moved into, you know, academia and worked at Swin- working at Swinburne still. So- that's how, for me, it came about. It was just really that constant instruction and encouragement to do my own thing. So, I think they just had a really intuitive read on my personality and probably what would make me happy. Um, in saying that, when I then told them that I was going to take the leap when I was 25 and start my own business, I think they both fell on the floor and were had huge anxiety um, about how that would work out for me. But, but um, you know, still supportive all the while. So, It's a bit of an interesting Hmm. sort of spark for me and a little bit different, but it's certainly the combination of of, um, upbringing and personality.
1: Hmm. Great parents. Tell us about that leap at 25. How did you find your passion? How did you know what you wanted to get into?
0: I don't think I've still quite found my passion. Like I think it's a lifelong journey and that's probably always how I've looked at it. So there are things I've always been passionate about, And I like to call them sort of breadcrumbs and I just keep following them a bit like Hansel and Gretel.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So, what I worked out very quickly that I loved and was good at was communication. And so, that sort of was my background. I studied that at university and then had a couple of, I guess, early career starts where I worked in Australian born entrepreneurial sort of businesses in both fashion and beauty. And I had mentors and I saw them living out what I thought would be good for me as well. So I had great people around me to inspire me. And then I had an opportunity to work in the property industry and had a number of, of people within that industry approach me and ask, did I consult? And that was really the the thing that allowed me to make the leap is that, okay, I've actually, people have seen my work And it's got that recognition. I had the level of confidence or actually I probably call it naivety and confidence at 25. (laughs) So I had that beautiful, you know, the confidence of people seeing my work and thinking, yep, I think I could have a couple of clients here that could get me started. But I also honestly at 25 thought, well, why wouldn't it work? I actually didn't even consider the possibility of failure. And now I often talk to people about this. I think about ideas I have or things I might want to do, and think about failure far more than I did 20 years ago. So, um, yeah, again, it was the coming together of all those beautiful serendipitous things. Um, And also the fact that a year or so prior to that, I'd been at mum and dad's and there was this old, huge thesaurus um, that was in dad's study. And it just happened to be open one day when I sort of was visiting and I walked in there. And I looked down and, and the word undertow, was in the thesaurus. And I thought, God, that's such a beautiful word. Uh, Wouldn't that be a great name for a business? Because it's all about, you know, just going about your work and the, the current from underneath is just stronger than anything that's on top. And, you know, the idea of being just confident and strong and powerful by doing the work and putting it out into the world really appealed to me. So that's also, I had
2: that in the background and then I had the interest from a few people and that was all I needed. I love that you said that you feel like passion is a lifelong journey because I think sometimes we can feel the pressure of having to discover our passion and having to build a business that aligns with our passion. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And I think you have so many different business interests. You've got a very diverse kind of portfolio of interests. You're on you know many boards and you've invested in many businesses. And I think that that's a reflection of you know lots of different passions. How do you manage all of those different interests and how do you manage your time being involved in so many different things? Yeah, I get asked this a lot. Firstly, I think everything is a lifelong journey,
0: not just passion. So if you look at life that way, then you can also look at if things spark your curiosity and you connect with them and you'd like to bring them into your life, then it's also okay that if over time that doesn't work, you can let it go. So mm. the idea, when I talk to people, a lot of people think I need to complete this before I can do that. Or I I need to stop this before I can start that. Or if I do this and this, will I be too busy? Will I not have enough time? And it's all of those thoughts of things actually we don't even know the answer to and probably won't until we do them that stop people from doing things. So I guess I've always had the philosophy that I, if I'm interested and it sparks my curiosity, I will say yes. Um, I'm very strong, and it's easy for me to also say no, which is something I've worked on and have been continually getting better at. But um, you know, the minute that it doesn't work for me, my family, I guess what you know, the direction that I'm heading, it's also okay to to let something go, um, and that gives you a lot more freedom, I think, in in feeling like you can take things on. Um, and the other thing that I combine with that is just an incredible um, schedule and organisation, um, which I think is, is just 101 really of also having a pretty strong work ethic. Um, I, start, I start my day really early. So I like to start at about 5, 5.30 um, unless I am feeling tired and then I won't so I don't pressure myself to absolutely do it every day but the routine does help and especially with, with the kids. So I start my day really early and I kind of have at least an hour plus of that to myself for my time to do my things. And most of those things are for my health and well wellbeing um, and make me be at my productive best. So that also allows me to not feel overwhelmed um, and really plan my day as well
1: what are some of the other lessons that you've learned, you know, over the years with all the fingers in all the pies that have helped you to co-found and chair Smiling Minds, which we're going to jump into in just a bit. Um, I think, you know, right now everyone's looking for some mindfulness and um, I think it's an, a great platform and we're really interested in hearing, you know, how it's growing. We know that, you you know, the user base is growing exponentially at the moment. moment. But what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the past years that have helped you create Smiling Minds?
0: Yeah, I think um, one of them would be that any idea, and this is the same if I'm assessing investment in a business or actually coming up with things myself or giving people advice, any great idea will only be a great idea if you don't actually have the intention to follow through and bring it into the world. And and actually, by the way, that's fine if you don't. Um, but, you know, you have to make coming up with the idea just one component. And the other big part of anything is also having a plan mm. and seeing and understanding how it will be in the world. So, with Smiling Mind in particular, for instance, James and I, you know, talked about the creation of it. I took it on as, as something that you know, I would voluntarily sort of do for the first sort of 10 to 12 months until we could raise um, enough money to build a team. And we began with the end in mind And, and we created the brand and the look and feel. And that was the first thing. We wanted it to be approachable. We wanted it to be something everyone wanted to be part of and have a beautiful sort of brand sentiment and sense of community sitting around that, what we were creating. And that, that's happened from the start. So it's that sort of beginning with the end in mind and then the idea and the planning for the idea sort of flows from there. And that can be, that doesn't have to be an idea that you want to bring to the world. That could be something you want to do or achieve in your career. It could be how you want to run your household, like anything like that. It's just about stepping out how to to put those things into reality. And sometimes they're also tiny steps first. And sometimes they don't have to happen really fast either. Because I think, you know, to your point before, Anna, sometimes we put pressure on ourselves Mm. that we have to come up with the one thing or we have to meet a certain deadline. But I think often that can also strangle the flow of creativity. It can strangle the flow of our relationships and, and opportunities. So it's also getting that balance right. And I've certainly found mindfulness and meditation super helpful because um, I used to be just a pushy bitch, basically. Um, <laughs> lots of people listening to this that know me actually probably still like, she's still a pushy bitch. Would they say that? Um, <laughs> but, no, but I just, um, you know, I am known for getting things done and I certainly haven't lost that sense of work ethic or urgency or, you know, and I love, but but I I think I put a lot more um, intention and philosophy and flow around that now. Um you know, and have the ability to, if I don't get everything done on my task list, that's fine. It just pops on there for tomorrow or next week mm-hmm. or just in a, a much deeper ability to let things go, which um, still allows me to get everything
2: done I need to get done, but in a lot less stressful way. That resonates with mm-hmm. me so much. You have no idea because I think one of the biggest struggles that I faced going from um, a really fast paced corporate Role into small business is just the change in pace, and and you know it can be really hard. That transition can be really really difficult managing um, managing your time when your deadlines are your own deadlines, and you know I think it's even more pertinent now because everybody has this extra time, and I think there's this pressure on everybody to. Continue working, seize the opportunity while you've got captive eyeballs on your brand. You know, do more, do more, do more. And actually, that's not productive. So I think, um, yeah, that personally resonates a lot with me. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: So you spoke a little bit about um, how you know the idea is only one part of the of the um, the idea is only one part of starting a business, uh, but the rest is the execution. I'm curious, where did the idea for Smiley Mind come from? What problem were you trying to solve?
0: Yeah. That's one of my favourite questions that I'm ever asked. Um, I sold I sold my agency um, in 2009 and literally took sort of 12 to 18 months off, which um, I'd had three kids in three years. You know, I'd been running like a fairly substantial business. I mean, it was only just under 30 staff, but lots of big clients. And it was really, really busy. And I went back two weeks after my third child, Sunny. And that was probably for me, there was a combination of, I just don't want to do this anymore. But actually it was the work. I loved the team and I loved the business side, but the work wasn't making my heart sing anymore. So that was the, I guess, reason that I really wanted to sort of move on and, and sell the business. So I stayed on for a couple of years on the board and just had a small shareholding. And during that time, yeah, I literally did have that 18 months to two years off. And So I got really involved, never one to sit completely idle. Um, I got really involved in my local community. My kids were at kinder and primary school at the time and I did everything from veggie patch to canteen duty. I mean, canteen duty was my hands down favourite.
2: Why is that?
0: I just, it was, the guy who ran the canteen would just put on great 80s tunes and (laughs) it was just the best. Anyway, um... And I also was president of the local kindergarten, so I was spending an incredible amount of time even in the ELC environment as well. And I couldn't believe how much, you know, low to medium level anxiety was permeating both environments um, really frequently. And I was actually also, I was involved in things that were fun supposedly or Mm. exciting, you know, canteen and veggie. And um it, it just, it was like that, it didn't feel like that for me when I was that age. And and so it really started me thinking, what about if, you know, the gift of meditation that I'd only sort of been exposed to since Tom was born, so sort of only a couple of years prior, what if that had been actually embedded into my life? You know, what if these kids could do this now, like as part of, you know, inst- instead of as well as Veggie Patch, they do mindfulness meditation every day. Um, so I started working with a friend who was a teacher at the time, noticing similar lack of resilience, high stress, um, in the classroom on sort of a concept, a broader concept around a wellbeing app. And then I caught up with James Tutton, who's my co-founder for a cup of tea. Um, he'd been a client and we'd become close friends and he said, what are you doing? You've taken nearly two years off. That's so unlike you. And I told him about this problem and, and this app idea, And he said, oh, I've been looking at something similar. There's um, UCLA and Harvard, there's mindfulness in education, research and programs, and I want to bring it here. And I said, well, that's crazy because it's expensive if you do it with humans. Why don't we combine our ideas? That's the content that we put on this app. And we make it free and accessible for absolutely everyone. And we build something that everyone wants to use, so it's a great user experience, it's a great product, but actually also embedded in the curriculum. Mm. Like make it the way people think about PE, you know, like how much did we love PE at school, or most of us? Um, But, you know, it was a break from the classroom, it was fresh air, it was, there was some, like it was a, you know, it was a bright part of our day. How good would it be if people referred to the health of the mind like they do the health of the body. They're really starting to understand, you know, what you put, what you consume and put in your body matters. The a level of physical exercise that you have matters. I want people to know the health of the mind matters. I want it to have equal voice. Um, and so that's where it was born. And the, the number one important thing to us was that, you know, it should be free. And the reason for that was. We knew both from our upbringing and, you know, having young kids that that was the most important part of solving the problem, accessibility. Mm -hmm. That And and also the other thing we knew um, that I didn't used to think, I always used to think I was too busy to meditate, which is just an absolute, (laughs) that's exactly why I needed it. But um, that's a whole other story. But, you know, we realised that absolutely everyone, needs to embed this in their life. There's not any one type of person who should or shouldn't use it. It's just for everybody. And if we truly wanted it to be for everybody, it had to be free.
2: So how did you go about building, I guess, uh, the not-for-profit model? I mean, is, is it government-funded or is it philanthropic donations that keeps, um, you know, the team employed, et cetera?
0: Yeah, so we, both being entrepreneurs, so James had founded Moonlight Cinema prior um, and then sort of got into property and I'd, you know, had a number of different business interests. And so we're both entrepreneurs at heart. So we tackled it just like we would a commercial business. And if you look at some of the other apps over in the US and UK, like Calm and Headspace, they're multi-billion dollar companies now, Their valuations. And the reason is they have user bases and ours, you know, is obviously smaller, but growing at the same rate. Um, So, the valuations those businesses can have are huge. But for James and I, for some reason, and people question us all the time, it just felt like the right thing to do to be a not-for-profit. But in saying that, that didn't mean that we wanted to take the normal sort of not-for-profit route. We wanted to be accountable for how we generated revenue and income. So, We generated a a corporate and developed a corporate program which still exists today and and funds over 50% of our organisation. So we work with some of the largest corporates and the first one was IBM and we've translated um, our program into Japanese and the American accent and we've worked with some of the biggest corporates both here and around the world and that was, I guess, the commercial brains Mm -hmm. um, and aspect of us that made us look beyond just government funding, of which we, we get a small amount, but nowhere near, I think, for the impact we have, what we should be getting and what we, you know, will start lobbying for. Um, and also starting to get a lot of traction, you know, with corporate partners such as Medibank and Microsoft and Myob. And um, we've done a lot of work with Virgin as well. So all of those corporate partners are people that we have true brand and philosophical uh, connection with. And then we've had a number of philanthropic um, funds and families that have been hugely supportive. And um, so and they're very high profile and, you know, we're very grateful and that's the likes of Gandel Philanthropy and Ian Potter Foundation and um, Perpetual Trustees. So they continue to support us. So we're extremely lucky but that's taken a long time because, to be honest, when James and I first started the organisation, we did a business plan just like we would a commercial org. And we took it round, I'm not joking, to so many people. And I'd say everyone but a handful that we saw said it, w- it won't work. Kids will never meditate. They won't concentrate. Um, you shouldn't combine meditation and uh, technology. This is unproven. It's untested. It's dangerous. Um yeah, so I love I love reeling off our statistics now to, to those people. Send them little memos, update memos. Take that. <laughs> yeah. So that's a message to everyone out there as well mm. that, you know, it's good to get counsel when you're coming up with an idea or thinking about a business, but it's also, you know, if you have conviction and you've mm. done the work, then go out there and prove them wrong.
1: It's difficult to change people's behaviours. Absolutely. So, how difficult was it to get the government and schools on board? Because to embed something like that in a curriculum is an entirely other thing than just getting an individual to change their behaviour and adopt, you know, mindfulness and meditation.
0: Yep. Such a good question because both are so hard. (laughs) So, getting each of us to change and evolve as individuals as you say is hard enough, and I actually read some research today because you know there's people say it's 21 days to change a habit, but it actually um, there's University College I think in London just did some research and it's 66 days, so even harder Harder. than we thought. (laughs) Um, But I think um, we did two things really well, and one was we we just create we just wanted to create a great consumer brand and experience. And we thought, you know what, we know nothing ourselves about the education system or government funding. Why don't we just create something that they can't help but notice and want to support? So I guess if you think about like a traditional sort of push-pull strategy, that's probably where we are coming from, that if we just create and promote a brand with the right ambassadors, and we 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 get behind it, and we treat it like that. Um, then we've got to make sure that yeah, teachers. We want teachers to ask for it. We want parents to storm into classrooms and to principals' offices and ask for it. And we want workplaces. That's how IBM became our first corporate client because someone had experienced it with their child and took it to the business. So that's exactly the kind of organic, um, I guess, growth that we knew we had to crack to be successful. And the second thing we did was we piloted the program with the people, well, traditionally what you'd call in tech the customers. So, and not just with those schools that were really into positive psych and, and mindfulness already like the MLCs and Geelong Grammars, we did, and they were wonderful partners. But we, you know, partnered with the Pavilion School and with Berry Street. You know, Berry Street, um, we got the best insights from. They're like, well, as if our kids, our kids can't sit still for five minutes. Make a one-minute meditation. Make a two-minute meditation, and we did. And so they worked the kids up. You know, so all of those beautiful insights: state high schools, state primary schools. Um, so there was a group of probably just under twenty um, schools from, you know, all different regions that we piloted with. So that, that was the other thing. And then we started getting those insights and could work towards then a research program, which we did in sort of within the first sort of year or two.
2: So how did you go about creating that pilot program? Was it a pitch that you went out to a certain number of schools to, and it was, you know, like, how did you actually structure that program?
0: Yeah. So we, uh, I mean, James and I being entrepreneurs used to hustling and using our network. So we definitely, um, I guess we collaborated with psychologists and people that could help us with the content. Um, and then, you know, it was a combination of some cold approaches, um, as well as, and just knocking on doors of people we thought needed to know about the program, um, you know, with people that we knew that were in the education system, could you introduce us to this person and whatever. But, you know, it's a great question because for both of us, they were all, you know, they were out of our probably traditional network, if that makes sense, being psychology, education, well-being, Neither of us had done much, if anything, in that space. So it wasn't like we had existing networks that we could just sort of flip through our roller decks and, and open up. So there was a lot of heavy lifting, especially in that first year, and there was a lot of rejection. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. What was your rejection rate, do you think?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very high. But, you know, the best thing is that um, it was extremely high and, you know, now it's so joyful in that I can mention Smiling Mind in a small group of people uh, and most, if not all, will have heard of it, and or either have it on their phone. Their kids have it on their iPad, you know, mm. um, or they've worked with it in some way. And that that brings, well, me and everyone at Smiling Mind immense, you know, joy. Um, but gosh, it's taken you know eight plus years to get to that mm. to get to that stage. Um, so you know, it was it was a hard hard slog. Um, but we are so grateful to those original people who were advisors and on our board. Um, we're lucky to have Michael Cargreg and mm-hmm. some really well-known Dr. Frank Oberclade um, out of the Royal Children. So some really well-known you know, people who were so devoted to us and remain so um, and really went out
2: and, and banged the drum and actually just put great faith in what we're doing. That was my next question because obviously you had such a brilliant product and you sort of were able to create these champions of your product that kind of went out and spread the word. Was there anything that you did specifically to um, generate that kind of word of mouth or was it purely organic? Um, well, that's when the pushy bitch
0: probably came in a little. <laughs> um, persuasion. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the power of persuasion. No, I think um, we did what we said we were going to do. I think, you know, in life that's one of the most important things. Um, so, you know, and and also we weren't afraid to, to test the program. Um, I think, and that's why the pilot was so important because um, we wanted the feedback and we wanted to make it better. And, you know, you say it was a great product. It actually wasn't really when we began. Um, you know, it was buggy. We'd done it very cheaply. I think the app originally cost us $26,500, which we thought was a fortune and now I've worked in tech. Um, that is reasonable. Oh, an absolute hmm. joke. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it was glitchy and, um, yeah, we, we pulled in a lot of favours. But I think what that turned into as we took on the feedback and evolved the product was people saw very quickly the impact and we started getting, you know, There wasn't research-based evidence, that came a bit later, but then anecdotal evidence from the piloting programs and then once it was starting to be embedded into schools that it was making a huge impact in classroom and even outside of classroom and that the kids would actually come in and they'd know when it was in the timetable and they'd lie down and just prepare, it's smiling mind time, you know. Mm. So um, that's when we knew we had something and that's when it really did become just organic Um, and the word of mouth really nearly our entire time the word of mouth has been what has um, you know and generous I guess spots like this where we get to talk about what we're doing and why we're doing it and let more people know Um, but certainly referral I'd say has always been our number one.
2: How long do you think that you were in the grind before you started to see the pendulum swing in terms of momentum? Do you really want to know the, yes, the true answer, the true answer? Mm.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's that whole overnight success, you know, and I don't know in other industries, but certainly in the tech world, um, everyone, we always have a bit of a laugh about it because overnight success generally tends to come, you know, five, six, seven years. Mm. Um where the business sort of pops up and um, everyone's like, wow, that's just been so successful so quickly. It's like, no, 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 that's only, you just found out about it. That's why. Um, but those poor people have been slogging away and, you know, have slept on, on their lounge room floors and, you know, just pools of tears have flooded into their morning coffee. Like, you know, do, yeah.
1: Do not call me an overnight success. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's an insult. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, I would say the tipping point generally is is that long, but not always. There are absolutely businesses that take off much, yeah. much quicker and organisations. Um, but yeah, I think, it's just mm. uh, especially a little different with Smiling Mind to some of the other businesses I'm involved in that are able to raise capital. They do have bigger, you know, marketing budgets if they're direct to consumer. So it also does depend on, you know, the style of organisation and, and what your sort of roadmap is and, and how you want to grow. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, you've got to put in the hard yards early and you've also just got to keep picking yourself up. Like, I think we have consistently had amazing wins at Smiling Mind, but we still have, you know, I've I've asked for funding um, a couple of times in the last week and we've had a couple of really hard no's. And, mm. you know, that is tough because we really need that funding. And, um, you know, I feel like we're at the stage where it, we're just getting so much demand. I just don't understand why anyone would say no, right? right. <laughs> but it still happens. So the the ability to just keep picking yourself up um, is what will make you an overnight success.
1: Yeah. You just said that the demand has grown. Um, you've reached 5 million downloads of the app and March has been your biggest month with 137,000 downloads. These are incredible numbers and I think, you know, for you it must be a nice feeling but on the other hand obviously it's a result mm. of of the current climate covid-19 how do you reconcile that feeling of it's great to see the numbers grow but you know people are struggling mm
0: i think for me all i feel when i see that is gratitude that it's there so i don't um because i it's like well what's the alternative if it wasn't you know and i think if you look at like some of our our web traffic stats are even higher than Beyond Blue, say. Um, and I think the reason for that is we actually, because it's a tool and you can pick it up and you can use it and you can do so straight away as many times as you need. Um, yeah, so like our usage has gone up like 500%. So that it's not just the new downloads and um, registrations, which is sort of 150% day on day of of regos, but it's also the people who are already in the community as well. So that's where um, I don't feel gratitude that we're going through or anyone's going through any of this, but I'm so thankful every day that we did it and that I didn't listen to the naysayers, (laughs) especially now. I, I feel like that every day actually. Um, it's by far the most joyful thing I've done in my career, but i I feel that more than ever
2: now and I think it's a reflection that people are actually taking a proactive approach mm-hmm. to their mental health you know maybe this is um, you know this crisis has kind of spurred people on to really take a proactive approach and and download the app and use it in their daily routine which is a which is a good sign
0: exactly exactly I think they and And people will notice a difference. Like often if I speak or um, have some kind of group session, I'll top and tail with a meditation. And the reason I like to do that is for the people who haven't tried it yet, even if it's just five minutes, you will feel an immediate impact in your body. Hmm. Like even if you don't in your mind and your mind remains busy, which by the way, that's that's normal and I still have a busy mind meditation. So before you ask that question, because it's that's how our minds, they're built to be like that. This just gives us space and gives us a, a tool to train our minds when we feel like our minds are getting busy and carried away in thoughts in bringing them back. So those examples when I get people to experience even a couple of minutes and then feel the difference in their body and acknowledge that, so that's what I'm excited about, that people that are at home and and maybe trying it for the first time will be able to see and feel those differences quite quickly. And research has shown that 10 minutes for 10 days consecutively is enough to feel a general difference beyond just physical as well. So it's really also encouraging people that are at home and trying it which is what we're we're trying to do with some of the new programming is to just to keep it up and build those build that muscle
2: so we'd love to talk about one of your new programs thrive inside um can you tell us a little bit about how the idea for that program came about and what it was in response to
0: yep so we so I'm not involved day to day obviously in the organization but the team there which is you know We have our own tech team now, um, which is a great, you know, I guess, advantage Mm -hmm. and we almost, I feel like, yeah, I mean, we're a tech-based not-for-profit is how I describe us Um, and that still think and and act like a startup. And because of that, we very quickly noticed the stats and the data coming in about um, basically from the first sort of announcement um, that ScoMo made a couple of weeks ago, And so very quickly, um, the tech team and the project team got together and made a call to develop a bespoke um, COVID-19 response um, with new content very specific to people being in their home environment, being very under high stress. Um, So we were able to deliver that. We delivered that last week. So within 10 days, basically, of that announcement and seeing the data come in. So that kind of shows how agile and responsive we are, which I think as a not-for-profit today um, is just such a huge advantage because Mm -hmm. we can just have such high impact so quickly. We've also had a 300% increase in inquiry from the corporate, like of our workplace program, um, people that want specific work at home content. So we've got Thrive Inside already live for everyone who's listening. And we're working on specific workplace programs as well um, that will soon be available. And then working on a big round of sort of, you know, intense and fast fundraising to address the fact that, well, we know now that term two is going to be at home. So, we are already digital. We're already online for so much of our curriculum based activity, but not 100% of it. So, we're now, um, that's where our attention will go and the bulk of our fundraising and, yeah, and focus. So, and we'll be able to deliver that should we get the fundraising in the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to deliver that for term two.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's a great program, a great initiative and really impressive that you managed to get that up in 10 days. Yeah. <laughs>
0: How important? Well, I, did, I actually, I, I did nothing um, except, <laughs> except put it on my Twitter. So um, absolute kudos to, you know, to the Smiling Mind team and the initiatives I've seen for them to also look after their own well being when they're so busy mm. and the things they're doing as a team to stay connected, um, like I'm super proud of them because they're living what they're, you know, preaching
2: and doing and that's super powerful. How important do you think it is for business owners right now who are looking for new opportunities or new ways to serve their communities and their audience? How important is it to act swiftly? You know, 10 days is very quick to get a whole new program up. Do you think it's important to act really quickly in terms of addressing these emerging needs? I do if
0: you're set up to do so. If if you're not set up to do that, it's very challenging and I'd probably say you're better to outsource that. Um, And that's what I'm seeing with a couple of, you know, because I'm just consulting at the moment. So even a couple of people I'm speaking to, you know, can you come and set this platform up for us? And so it's not even, it's not a BAU thing. It wouldn't normally be. So if it's not your BAU um, and you're not expert in doing that, I'd probably say seek out someone who is. Um, They'll be able to do it quicker and get a better outcome. Um, But... On the flip side of that, I've also yeah, I sold my business to a big four bank, um, and I have been part of trying to embed a startup into that bank, which actually did happen and was a big success. But that was really hard because those big organisations aren't set up to be agile um, or as agile as they need to respond as quickly mm. as as they possibly can to something like this. So what will happen quite naturally is that a lot of businesses will have to and be forced to change yeah. um, without having the choice. But, yeah, I think the other thing is um, to not think about turning your business completely on its head just out of panic, like really just to maybe do a meditation. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah. make sure you're acting out of the usual, I guess, integrity and doing the due diligence you normally would as a business owner or a, a person, you know, senior in the business to make your decisions rather than just sort of reacting Um, because none of us have ever seen anything like this. Mm. So, you know, a lot of the um, tech businesses that I advise, um, I've actually really been enjoying um, playing that role of of giving perspective and asking those types of questions and just making sure that, you know, they're making decisions for the longer-term benefit of the business and the shareholders, not just the fact that they actually feel pretty immense panic, which many of us are feeling, mm. right? So you just have to make sure you're saying, Okay, am I am I making this decision out of clarity mm. and, you know, with the normal decision making skills I would use, or am I is it a bit of a reaction? So it's hard to check yourself, but it's
1: yeah. important. Yeah. It is a difficult one because what if it's a do or die situation? I mean, we have a business that was very much uh, in real life. Events, you know, we have this podcast, um, we we host panels, and then we've had to pivot and create a virtual business. Is there sometimes you know, you just kind of have to go, well, there's no other way. Let's plan out the best way possible for us to completely change our business. And what are some of the like critical steps, first steps that you would suggest?
0: If you feel like you've got no choice, but you feel like there are ways forward, absolutely. Like, and and in terms of steps, I mean, it really is just, you know, working together, stepping out those out and then making a decision on you know rather than focusing on changing multiple things are there just one or two things that might be most integral to the business and its longevity to keep it going. And also the other thing I that exercise that I think is super important is, your worst case scenario planning. Yes. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's been a brutal exercise with a lot of the people I work with that say, oh, we've done a 50% revenue reduction. I was like, cool, show me what it looks like with 100% revenue reduction. <laughs> They're like, yeah. oh, that's really depressing. But, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. Let's just work it out and then we can step back from there. So I think, you know, that... Um, the combination of prioritising and then doing a bit of worst case scenario planning, um, and then obviously the financials. I mean, that's the that's the hairiest bit, um, you know. And I was leading a tech business that went into administration um, at one point that everyone thought was going to be a huge success and listed for hundreds of millions of dollars, and then it didn't. And so I know what it's like to face some pretty ugly. Conversations and have to make some pretty ugly decisions. Um, but the one good thing about this period is, so is everyone else. Mm. And you are not alone. And I can tell you, I felt very alone then. Um, and that's what I've said to a number of my mates as well, who are really in a jam. Um, I said, you know, the one beautiful thing at the moment is that we are all going through very similar, challenging times. Yeah. So use your network. Use you know. Be honest with people and really, you know, help one another. To if you've got mates going through similar things, nut it out to bounce things off each other as well. Really important. Yeah. Then you know you're not alone because you you're not. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know. Also, think about are there? Can you go on a walk with another f- founder as mm. well? So you are kind of combining a counselling session, a, you know, and and a physical exercise and a new environment and, uh, you know, I know it's not a face-to-face interaction but it's a bit more human. So those things that where we can combine other things that are good for our well wellbeing. Um, I mean, I, yeah, when I was running that tech business and it was four time zones and just so much pressure even before um, everything happened with Google, I, I that was a period in my life where I was just absolutely running myself into the ground and and wasn't um, wasn't doing a lot of the things that I'd kind of embedded years previously, thinking that, well, yeah, that's what I had to do. Mm. And I kind of didn't have a choice, but I absolutely did have a choice. And I think I won't be making that choice again. You know, no matter how bad things get, if you can hang on to keeping yourself as well as possible, you everything will be better. Otherwise, what happens is your personal relationships mm. fall apart, your, your sleep is affected, you know, your fitness level and, it, you know, your body's affected. So, and all of those things play into you feeling good and making really smart decisions. So, yeah, I think it's just that balance of feeling like the world's coming in on top of you but just being really disciplined with yourself to think you know what
2: just another hour isn't going to make a difference. So what are some of the well-being practices that you have found to be really helpful throughout your career?
0: Yeah, so I have got right back into um like a pretty rigorous routine um and the routine doesn't always have to happen in the morning. I prefer it if it does, but Um, So I will always start the morning with, um, I will wake up, I will do 20 to 30 minutes of exercise, usually rigorous, like on an app. So I'm a single mum. So I have to, if I have the kids for that week, I have to do it at home. I don't have time to go to the gym and fit it all in. So, and it's cheaper. And to be honest, like, just easier. Do it in my in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually do that, and then I will um, walk the dogs as well, which is beautiful, and listen to some kind of audio book or Louise Hay affirmation or something that makes me feel really good and curious and um, interested. And then I will also do a meditation, and that could be Smiling Mind, that could be Silence, that could be to music. I change it up all the time. Um, minimum 10 minutes, longer if I can and, and have time. And then I'll go about my crazy morning after that. So that's kind of my, you know, something physical, something for the mind, something for the curiosity um, and something, you know, I live by a Gardner's Creek, so something sort of in nature, you know, um, with my crazy rescue dogs. So that's yeah. kind of my formula. Now, if I don't fit all of that in, I'll try and, you know, sprinkle it somewhere during the day. And as I say to people, like the meditation can happen like in your car before or after a meeting. Best meditations in the car. I don't know why. You know, like in a park, it doesn't really matter. So also don't beat yourself up if you haven't stuck to the routine. Just try and choose those two or three things that really work for you and it'll take a little bit of time, an experiment. And just make sure you do them every day. Like some at some stage. The other thing that I've found and I've been working super hard at it, um, well, two things actually in the last six months. One is really investing more and more and more in my girlfriends Mm. and fun, having fun, like really having fun, being fun. I'm always fun, but like being being even more More fun, fun. being even (laughs) more fun and, you know, being proactive about things that make me feel good Um, and my girlfriends do and making them feel good. So- And the other thing is, as a parent, trying to focus more on the connection that I have with my teenage boys rather than do this, do that, Mm. don't do this, don't do that. What is the most important thing to me is staying connected to them and if that means that I have to deal with my own anxiety that they're experimenting with things that freak me out or they're trying to sneak out at night or any of the things that I did as a teenager. Sorry, Mum and Dad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, just, you know, you, I, me managing my own anxiety around that and being able to just have conversations and focus on the connection. So they're kind of my my top things at the moment, but ask me in a few months and there'll probably
1: be Might different change. ones. Yeah. And that's okay. Some great tips and I think you're right at the moment. So much is changing that we can't control and naturally what we respond to is going to change you know, my routine's completely changed. I mean, getting up and walking in the morning now is a, you know, non-negotiable, you know, meditating. And you just start to find those things that are helping you in this time. And as you said, it might change down the track, but try and find what helps right now. Mm -hmm. So we've got a couple of wrap-up questions for you. First one is, what's one thing that you are struggling with right now?
0: For me, probably just not physically seeing people, especially the week I have without the boys. So that's very challenging. I'm still walking with girlfriends and doing the couple of things that you can do. Yeah. So I'm finding that very hard, but I am just trying to also focus on other ways to do that as lots of people are um, and just enjoying that. And at least we have that. So, but yeah, I, I, I'm finding that really challenging and um, cause I really miss that human connection.
2: What's one thing that you
0: need right now? Well, i definitely say a hug. (laughs) I know you can't deliver. Sorry. Um, No, I think, look, not much to be honest. I think I, yeah, I just need to focus on, I'm actually really enjoying focusing on doing things for other people and I feel like me jumping back into Smiling Mind as chair and doing that you know, he's going to deliver that and will bring me lots of hugs. That'll be my karma. Deferred hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Love
1: and lastly, gratitude's such a beautiful practice and we know that you're grateful for and we're so grateful for Smiling Mind. But is there something else or someone that you wanted to express some gratitude towards?
0: Yeah, definitely my three boys, Tom, Henry and Sunny. Yeah, I'm grateful for them every day. And... Just the way they go about life and the things that they teach me, um, I'm really grateful for. So, yeah, they've definitely been my biggest teachers.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jane.
0: No worries. Thanks for having me.
2: That was a pretty powerful and relevant chat for all of us right now. And there were a couple of things that really stood out to us. Firstly, don't underestimate the power of referral and word of mouth marketing. Having people champion your brand can go a really, really long way. And this is exactly how Jane grew Smiling Minds user base in the early days. It's something that we can all replicate in our businesses by showing our customers love and offering the best high touch service possible. Secondly, let's touch on pivoting for a sec. A lot of us are thinking about how to do this right now and for some of us, it's a do or die situation. If you're thinking of adapting existing revenue streams or creating new ones in your business, make sure that with every single decision your customer is front of mind. Try not to be impulsive and reactive, as tempting as it may be. And finally, at a time like this, let's all choose to focus on the most important thing, our well-being. It doesn't need to be complicated. A 10-minute meditation, taking time out to read a book, learning a new skill, getting the heart rate up. Find the things in life that make you feel good. And we're not
1: talking about chocolate and red wine, are we, Anna? Well, that's good too.
2: <laughs> Occasionally. That's it from us. To continue the chat, please come across and join us in our Facebook group, The Lady Brains Clubhouse, where we're sharing useful business and well-being resources. We're also in there dropping more info about our upcoming virtual supper clubs and masterclasses.
1: Ladyland is a Podcast One Australia production. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolic. For more great podcasts, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.